Hey guys, and welcome back to the Natty Scene. We are here this evening with four screen, four guests. We have Lee, we have Stuart McCulloch, and we have Damien Lees. Stu and Damien, for those that don't know Stu or Damien, uh, are both WMBF pros. And from as far as I know, Lee knows more than me because Lee's obviously been a part of their careers for a little longer than, than I have been following them. But Stu and Damien have had pretty similar sort of paths to, to getting to where they are and started the sport sort of a similar time and were in the junior ranks at a similar time too. So we thought it would be a good idea to get two professional bodybuilders on the podcast and just have a little bit of a chat really and see where it leads us. So these chats are always insightful for listeners. Um, and I feel like, like me personally, I love listening to these kind of chats where it's almost a bit freestyle. We haven't got massive structure uh, to the questions that we're going to be asking. We're just going to sort of delve into their, their careers a little bit more. So first of all, I think, you know, especially considering the situation that we're in at the moment, first of all, how are you both? How are you getting on? Are you, well, Damien, I think it's a rhetorical question. Are you still training? Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry to rub it in with the uh, weight. <laughs> boys are fast asleep in bed, so... Um... I've been told I talk very loud, so um, yeah. Mrs. is booted me into the gym to do this. Okay. That's perfect. <laughs> um, so, yeah, guys, how are you getting on? Um, what's the gist with uh, training for you guys at the moment? And, uh, yeah, just, just give the listeners sort of a little bit of a, an, an update on how you're getting on. Damien Lee? No. <laughs> um, well, Damo first. Yeah. I'll be really quick. Uh, trainings as per usual. I mean, I was training twice a week at Anytime Fitness because a client of mine uh, owns Anytime Fitness in Bury. Okay. So basically, he gave me access to the gym. So I was just for variety, really. I was um, I had access to like a pendulum squat, things like that, other bits of kit. So I was training there like twice a week and then at my home settled three times a week. Yeah. Uh, hence, now though, I'm here five days a week which it's not a problem you know we can work around it and i've got all the kit i need really so um yeah it's it, on the training side it's just as per usual really yeah sure and was your was your plan this year to take a full off season anyway i believe it was yeah definitely yeah definitely this year's off season anyway yeah so no problems for me really that on that side of things awesome and Stu, i see i've saw on some instagram comments that you weren't training initially but are you allowed to um, that you've got a few sessions in now? Or you... Yeah, I'm getting there. Uh, I've got a couple of 30s that I got from the gym, um, some bands, a kettlebell. So I'm getting some makeshift workouts in, hopefully enough to just keep everything where it is. Uh, so I'm training every day. I, I maybe take a body part a day. I don't, I'm not trying to improve. I'm just trying to maintain what I have with a limited kit that I have. But I'm, I'm getting a workout and I'm walking. I'm keep myself semi-decent shape. And as far as I can see, I haven't lost too much. So that, that's, that's about it. And you, you seem for, like, I think it's great for me as well. You seem pretty like light-hearted on your Instagram. And always in terms of like even following you in a prep, you seem just pretty relaxed and light-hearted with your approach to things. So when this lockdown was released, did it, did it stress you out at all? Did it did it make you feel like really upset or angry, or did you just think, oh, it's another thing to deal with and sort of crack on? Um, be honest. To to be honest, I, I can't stand it. <laughs> I've yeah. never been uh, 
not in a gym for anything longer than like a week in my entire life. Even if I go on holiday, I try and find a gym and at least do something. So it's it's new territory for me. So it's something I'm adapting to. Uh, but I, I tend to just take my take things uh, in my stride, and it's the same with the the prep as well. I just try and stay calm and do the best I can with the situation, and that's what I'm doing at the moment. Oh, wicked. So, Lee, I'm going to hand it over to you, and I want you to sort of like set the tone for starting the the questions with regards to Stu and um, Damien's career. So, just sort of throw it out there, where, where did these guys begin and sort of maybe start a conversation thread between the two of them? Okay. Um, but it's really weird because even though we sort of live at sort of opposite ends of the country and, and north of the wall for Stu, um, we've all pretty much been instrumental in, in each other's careers, haven't we? Because I know that Damo, you first competed in, in earnest in 92 and then again in 93 which is where we first met because we competed together in the same division of the show. And then a couple of years later, you and I were in the audience at Stu's first contest ever, which was six at the AMB Yorkshire, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so we are all around at that, that kind of time. Um, I think the, the interesting thing that I wanted to sort of dig into today that AJ alluded to, because we were talking about it is it, it's been a very strange parallel between you guys because your careers as juniors started at similar times. And, and if you don't mind me saying so, in the beginning, neither of you rocketed straight to the top of the rankings, did you? You know, you, you sort of had to claw your way up as juniors. You started as guys who were placed a little bit lower, then you learned a bit more and then you improved. And then both had some success as juniors, which we'll go into individually. But then... Fast forward to 2014, 15, 16, you were both competing at world level, both national champions, both on the verge of and just becoming pro bodybuilders. But it was the bit in the middle that was really, really different that I wanted to touch on a little bit because I know that it seems to me, and it's probably something we've never discussed, it seems to me, Stu, you took a fairly steady path through the ranks and worked your way up steadily, and bodybuilding was a thing that you always did. Whereas Damo, you had a complete sort of side swerve for a little while, didn't you, that, that I was involved in with you, um, where bodybuilding just wasn't something that interested either of us, and we sort of both drifted away from it and then came back. So maybe just uh, what, what at a time cover sort of, how those early days felt for you, what your experiences were, what you learned about the sport, just just sort of a, a general a general sort of encompassing of, of those two areas first before we move on. Damo, are you far away? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I mean, I started getting introduced to a gym uh, from my stepdad who was taking me to like a spit and sod uh, gym really once a week. Um, my stepdad, you know, Phil, um, he was really into martial arts and everything like that, but he wanted to do a bit of weight training. So I started off with that. Um, and then around that time, that era, there was like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, all the kind of 80s uh, superheroes and that. Um, and then a few friends of mine, like they went to the local gyms as well. They joined up. Uh, they asked me if I wanted to go along. Um, so tried out these gyms, just tried every piece of kit. You know, I didn't know what I was doing or anything like that. But, you know, I kind of like, 
I just love that, um, you know, the, the kind of like the smell of the gym, the, the protein shakes afterwards, you know, the old milk and egg protein shakes with the banana and, and a whole egg mixed in. And it was kind of like a really nice environment where everyone was kind of like knew each other, supporting each other and people were there to help you as well even though you didn't know what you were doing. It was just all like a really friendly atmosphere and where a lot of people, you know, will go to like a local pub. Um, for me at the time, you know, as, as, as a teenager, it was like, you know, this was my place to go and, you know, it kept me out of trouble and things like that. And from then on, you know, I just kind of, I, I saw the older bodybuilders like Rob Worthington, who was like Mr. Universe and a few other guys as well. And at the time as well, it was like, it was like a, like a girls' gym, Venice Beach, California, but in Bury, uh, that kind of like era where they had the strongman event, which Rob promoted, and it was just like a really magical time for me. And even though, you know, I didn't have the best genetics, and you know, there was like guys at high school who was like, you know, had naturally better physiques than me and everything like that. Um, I, I just got really drawn into it, um, and then that led me to kind of like competing as a teenager. Uh, competing on to, uh, onto the junior after that, and then you, you're talking from what 1992 route to 1999, but it was like seven years, which kind of consumed me uh, in, into bodybuilding. So I basically, even though I kind of enjoyed going out and getting drunk and you know meeting girls and stuff like that, um, I still was kind of like bodybuilding every day, kind of like buying all the magazines. And I think after that amount of time at that such a young age, kind of. I just lost passion for it. I think it just consumed me too much. Um, and that let me, I kind of just like, just felt a love for bodybuilding. Um, and that's where I just kind of pursued some other sports, really got into Thai boxing. Um, I was ready to get in the ring, actually. Um, I really wanted to fight in the ring. Um, I was trained by Sandy Hull at Bolton. Um, because as you guys know, once you're involved in competitive sports, you, you, you've always got to be doing something no matter what it is. I mean, I know, Lee, you know, you've been in the ring you know, a few years back and there's always something what's got to, we've got to keep doing, keeps driving us. Um, and at the time, Thai boxing, you know, I was getting ready for that. And then I remember uh, Chris Bolger uh, was competing uh, in 90, I think it was 97 or 98. I think it would have been 97, actually. Um, he was doing like a BMBF show and he said, why don't you come along to watch? And I watched it. 2007. 2007, yeah. I mean, you've got yeah. a better memory than me, but um, I watched it. Oh, 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And I just watched the show and I was completely hooked again. I was like, right, that's it. Quit the Thai boxing, started training seriously again and thought, right, I'm going to compete in two years and then just picked up from there, really, you know. So it was, for you, it was the, the sort of the consumption of the sport, the way that the sport sort of consumed your life that made you want to sort of drift away from it, fall out of love with it a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of like if, you, if you're in a relationship, but, you know, after a while, you just kind of like, if there's nothing there, you just kind of step away from it. And that's what happened with, with bodybuilding, really, you know. I think I remember the day it happened because we were, I, I come up to visit you, hadn't I? We were in our early 20s and we'd been out drinking on the Friday night and we were in Silver's gym in Berry, Rob Worthington's gym, um, on, on the Saturday morning training. And, and I was into the kickboxing and into the K1, the tie boxes at the time, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. I was in the back room pounding on the bags and you were in the weights room training. And I think about halfway through your workout, you just sort of called it a day, came out the back and said, show me a little bit of what you're doing. And, and if I remember correctly, that was actually what got you into the tie boxing, wasn't it? Yes, it's your fault then. Well, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so Stu, same same sort of story really. What drew you into bodybuilding? Where where did it all begin? Um, a lot of similarities for what what Damien's saying. Uh, always into your John Claude Van Dams, your Bruce Lees, Sylvester Stallone, Schwarzenegger. When I was growing up, those were the films. It was cool to have muscles. I played a lot of sports as well, and I get like most people from my area, we, we played with a local team. Uh, played with Galston Boys Club, and I was really small at the time. And it just happened to be that the, the gym, the powerhouse gym at the time, recently opened. And I always fancied that. Even before then, I was training a bit in my, in my garage. My dad made me some weights. So I always fancied going to the gym. And you weren't allowed to go at that point until you were 14. So I was just waiting until my 14th birthday so that I could start the gym. And when I was 14, uh, just just went there and just absolutely loved it. It was just so full of characters. There was actually quite a lot of good bodybuilders competing there at the time. There was Adam Mills, who owned the gym. He was a multiple British champion masters. Uh, there was Derek Rutherford. There was a number of other guys that, that had competed, and it was just it was just a little village gym. Um, so I went along. I didn't fancy going down the untested route, but there was guys that were in my gym that were obviously big and, and untested. But I went along to a couple of Adam's shows, uh, the Yorkshire, and I just fancied giving it a crack myself, to be honest. So I trained for a couple of years, trained alongside Adam, had various training partners and been in that environment. Just loved it. The whole, a lot of the times we just got fat eating Cybergenics, Infinity 4000, five Weetabix and some Infinity 4000. Made myself the size of a house uh, to a bit. Never really knew what I was doing, but just eat as much as I could. That was sorry, the way. Sorry, Stu. Sorry to butt in, mate, but um, when he's mentioned Cybergenics, right, I honestly believed, I saw it in a magazine, this phase one kit, it was called. And I thought, I, my, the before and after pitch, I thought I just looked like Frank, what's he called? Franco Santorelli? Santorelli, yeah. I honestly thought I'd just grow muscles just from taking these supplements. And I was at high school, and I remember I had to go to the headmaster because the rumour went round I was on steroids. But really, I was taking these desiccated liver tablets and whatever they were at the time. Oh, I was taking them as well. Yeah. I literally spent a lot of the time just on the pan because I was eating so much food. Got... You can see some of my old school photos. I'm literally like a goldfish bowl with all the stuff we were eating at the time. And eventually, just Adam was competing, and I, I went to all the shows. There was a, a local, there was NABA shows going on as well. Uh, Derek Rutherford, who from my gym, he was also competing, guest posing. So eventually, after going to these shows, uh, I entered the ANB Yorkshire in 96, which was a pretty unique experience. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's a bit of a funny story, to be honest. Uh, so that, that was my first show, placed second <laughs> out of two. But during that show, when I, I, I found out that uh, backstage that I've actually got an allergy to Ralgex. So that was the thing, pumping up with Ralgex. So Ralgex, so pumping up and I get this gust of Ralgex in my eyes 
just before I'm about to go on stage and I literally couldn't see. So it's like something, a comedy sketch, me coming on stage for my routine, completely blind. And it looks like from the video that some drunk person has just walked on the stage. Um, so that, that was sort of, I got second out of two. So, um, but I kept going. I, I did another show that year and I was a little bit better. I had six weeks to, that was the first time I'd ever competed. Uh, not a lot of clue what I was doing, but I had six weeks to improve on it. And I did the ANB Scottish in 96. G Gerard Parazol was at the same show. Um, and I got second there. Um, trained for the next year. So 1997, did the same show, uh, ANB Scottish. And I managed to win that. Didn't compete until 98. So competed in 98 at the ANB Yorkshire again. I got second uh, behind Jamie Allenby. I don't know if you know him. So took second behind him. I was still, still a bit soft. And I really wanted to do the Britain and come in a lot better. So spoke with my mentors, Adam and Derek, and really pushed the boat for the 98 Britain, which is probably my best performance as a junior. The juniors were under 21 at that time. So I come in really, really shredded and managed to get second behind a guy, Mo Mohammed. That I don't know if you've seen the Instagram picture, but that was the guy I placed second to. So Yeah, big guy. But yeah, he was fairly big for a, for a natural of that age. Um, and I, I, I competed that I get... So bear in mind, that's, that's a lot of dieting for a junior, basically dieting every year from 96. Uh, and then I competed in 99 in the Europeans and got second there. So that, that was, I competed every single uh, year as a junior from basically 1996 to 1999. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't, going back, I probably wouldn't have done it that often. I'd maybe have skipped a year. Um, and I managed to place well as a junior, but I think I thought a lot of that was because I was getting in seriously good condition for a, a junior at that time. There wasn't the, the juniors bringing that kind of condition that I was at the time. So I was maybe placing artificially high at that point. And by the time I was leaving under 21s to go into your novice and lightweight class, I was still fairly small so those early 20 years really I wasn't really making any progress on any of the sort of top spots but I kept going I did the, the novice show I did um, I think it was 2001 I did the ANB Yorkshire novice show um, I think it was fifth or sixth in that still still pretty small um, struggling to make any sort of impact but just sort of kept going um, like old tortoise in the hair kind of thing just keep going keep going keep going uh, got a little bit bigger um, just through training alongside all the guys Adam and Derek um, great times in the gym and just making some improvements so the next show after that was 2003 BMBF Scottish in 2003 uh, did pretty well there, but ran into 
to Dean Garrett. Uh, possibly one of the best, uh, probably the best under 70 there's ever been in, in, in the UK, I would, I would say. Uh, and at that time, that was pretty much his, his peak years. But it was actually beneficial to me to see someone at that level and compete someone against someone at that level. It did a lot in terms of improving me. So I think sometimes it's not always the best thing to go in and win a show. Sometimes it is better to, to get your arse handed to you and you and then you kind of see where you're at in terms of the best guys that are out there. Uh, so 2003, got, I think, did I? No, that only did only did one show in 2003. Uh, 2005, I competed in the BNBF Central, and I won that show. I won that show in 2005. Rob Riches, he was in that show uh, as well. I don't know if you've heard of that mm. guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Pete Chown, he was also at that show. He won the overall, uh, but... I, it was it was the first time I'd I'd won at lightweight, so I was quite happy with that. Still, I think it was about twenty six, twenty seven, maybe at that point. Awesome. So still, pre, still, still fairly small in the in the grand scheme of things with the lightweights. Um, probably not good enough to challenge at British level, and then so skipped another two years, and then I think it was what two two thousand and seven. Got second again. I think I must hold the world record for the amount of seconds. I think I've got them up to about twelve or something. Twelve run. Oh, I think it's a close run thing between you and Richard Walker. I think between yeah. the most second place trophies in in, in lightweight bodybuilding, definitely. Stu, is it all right if I I, I jump in there? Yeah, yeah. Move on. We'll move on to the later time shortly because the, the the point I was trying to illustrate by sort of going back to the the beginning with both of you was two two really important things and these are things i've stressed on podcasts that i've done with aj previously firstly both of you had from what i'm getting from what you're telling me both of you had really strong mentorship from sort of very old school spit and sawdusty gyms damo you were training in in you know in back silver street in berry and under the likes of rob worthington and i know there were a few other guys training at that gym but rob was for those of you that don't know, was British lightweight champion in the EFBB mid-90s. Uh, he was also a universe-level competitor. Stu, you were you were training at the powerhouse in Galston, um, which, again, you, you were training around guys like Dr. Derek Rutherford, may um, rest in peace, who I know was a massive yeah. mentor of yours, um, who you did a, a tribute to when you guest posed last year, and also to Adam Mills, who... He pretty much invented conditioning, didn't he, in, in natural yeah. bodybuilding? Let's be honest. He was, <laughs> was one of the sharpest guys that ever existed in natural bodybuilding. How, how do both of you think, and it's a kind of leading question I'm asking, but how do both of you feel that those hardcore training environments and those, those sort of mentors taking you under their wings affected you later on in life in bodybuilding? Damo, you far away first. Uh, well, I think with, with Rob, my, my first kind of like real mentor, um, he, he taught me a lot about working really hard, like working your ass off and need, leaving just nothing left in the gym. I mean, the, the first few sessions, I mean, he, he trained me for free as well for, for a few weeks. Um, 
oh, he absolutely killed me. And it, it was one of those where I just couldn't recover from his training because he was a guy who was just taking sets to failure and, and giving you force reps on top of that as well. Mm. And it didn't work for me in terms of all the force reps and not being able to move for a week. But what, what he taught me is basically to work your ass off in the gym. Um, so after a couple of weeks, I thought, right, okay, I, I know how hard to train now and, and how much to push. Um, and even though, you know, I could not diet at all back then, as you know, Lee, I mean, I was fucking, excuse me, friends, <laughs> dieting. I mean, I, I could tell you a story about shit like that, but I, I just could not diet at all, which, you know, I mean, I always competed smooth when I was a teenager and a junior, but I still worked really hard in the gym and I still trained really hard based on the environment I was in with the training partners and the people who was around me at the time as well. How about you, Stu? How did, how did those early days affect you and what do you carry forward from those today? M- massively. Uh, I don't honestly think I'd be where I was uh, if, it, if it, were, it wasn't for those two guys. I, mean, I trained alongside Adam, but a lot of the information was coming from Derek because he, he was the, he'd been competing from years and he, he was really supportive of natural bodybuilding. I think he may have gone down that route if if that was available at the time when he started, that, that wasn't available. But I, I, could, I couldn't even begin to measure the, the, the influence that had me, and not, not just in the training side, also like philosophical and perseverance, all, all that sort of stuff. I just I, I couldn't begin to... It just wouldn't have happened without, without both of those, those guys, to be honest with you. Cool. And, and both of you, and, and I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, both of you competed internationally as juniors in the same year. It was 99. I know you, you've already said yours was 99, Stu. Damo, was it 99 when we were out in Germany at the WPF Universe? Yes, yeah, 99 because I did the junior Mr. Wales. There was only me and another guy in the class. Uh-huh. I remember that, because uh, you travelled with me with Carl at the time. I remember we drove mm. over to... Was it South Wales, somewhere like that? It was, um, I remember, Chepstow. It was yeah, in South, yeah, South Wales, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, by virtue of winning that, I got the invite, I uh, got the flight paid for, so I thought, why not? Um, competed uh, in Germany. Uh, that's another story over there, wasn't it? No access <laughs> to food, and we, didn't, we couldn't even get a meal in a restaurant because they didn't understand what we were saying. <laughs> We, we just weren't ready for it, were we? No, no. no we not ready I, for that kind of experience. No, I think I think I played something like, what was it, 10th out of 12, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, there, there were some freaks there, you know. Um, it, interesting, interesting you should mention that, and I will come back to that in a minute and, and touch on something uh, to do with our junior, both our junior careers. But be, being involved in international competition at that early stage... Do you feel that it was a good thing in terms of body, a body, good experience for you, or do you think it was a little bit much for you at that point? Uh, for me, yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit much, and it, it kind of like seeing the freaks backstage and things like that. And yes, they were assisted in that, but it kind of put me off, and that that's when I think that's one of the reasons as well where I thought mm, I'm not sure if it's for me or not. I think that might have been planting a seed for me, to be honest with you. And I wasn't ready for international competition. Uh, I mean, I remember competing at the FBB uh, Junior British Champs in 99, uh, sorry, 97. 
and I got six, I think, out of seven people. And even the, guy, even the guys there, the top three, top four, they were just head and shoulders above me in terms of size, condition, everything. Um, and it was kind of like a wake-up call as well, really. Well, the runner-up of that show in 97 you competed in was the guy that won it the year after when I competed in 98, wasn't he? Yeah. Those guys were just, in terms of what they were doing uh, and what they were willing to put forward was, was another level. And I think both you and I at the time, and, and I've been quite open about the fact I, I used in very limited quantities some performance-enhancing drugs. Um, that was the thing that kind of made me think, I don't really want to do this anymore um, because I don't want to do what the other guys are doing and I'm not really yeah. happy about what I'm doing now. Um, and that was probably what pushed me back towards the martial arts stuff, to be honest, uh, which, which eventually rubbed off on you. So yeah. you, you competed in a European championship representing the AMB. That was the summer season of 1999. That was in Belgium, was it? Um, Barcelona. Barcelona. Okay. So tell us about that because we're, we're used to these international shows that we go to these days, but what, what, what was, what was the story in 1999 with the, the drug tested natural shows, uh, the international shows? Uh, I wasn't tested. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't think there was any testing. Uh, I wasn't aware of any testing. It was going back a while. Um, the, the, the show wasn't great. The lighting, it's nothing like what you would. It's nothing like what you would get going to Coventry in the, the UK A finals or anything like that. It was in some hall somewhere. Um, it was a bit. The actual show was a bit underwhelming. What what I did take away from the experience is there was a lot of good bodybuilders there. There was Cheryl Myers was there. Uh, right. Ben Agbok. Um So so getting to mingle with these people was far better than the actual event. But mm-hmm. by the time, I mean, I'd been dieting about a year and a half by by that point, and I was pretty much like a bit of string going there. So I was really about sick of life because I'd been dieting since 1998 Yorkshire in June. By the time I got to the Britain and then off it on again to pretty much summer 99. So I was really, really stringy. Uh, but, but I definitely <laughs> benefited from being alongside those high quality those those top bodybuilders at the time that that's what i took from it where did you where did you place at that show and what was your uh, second second out of two <laughs> it was only two in, it. in the euros so yeah. i know a lot of those was it a uibbn show at the time i think so thanks to the body so. i know that some of those shows could be pretty hit and miss couldn't they sometimes they'd be yeah. no, I mean, sometimes they'd be amazing and the stuff- i was nowhere near as good as what was it, Britain? Not as good as well, Britain. Yeah. No, no, no. It's interesting you should mention Cheryl Myers because she's not somebody that people talk about anymore. Was she? Was she Cheryl Myers then, or was she Cheryl Green? At Cheryl that? Green. She Cheryl Green at that point. Before, before her and Stu got married, and she became Cheryl Myers. For any listeners that don't know, um, Cheryl Myers is without a doubt the best female bodybuilder to ever come out of this country. Five WMBF Pro World titles. Back in the days before the structure we've got was in place, you know, she was going over there on her own and doing her own thing as an independent pro athlete. Amazing woman, very nice lady. She actually, for the first, I don't think she's involved much in bodybuilding anymore, but for the first three or four years that we took teams out to the Worlds, 
she would always send me a card through the post, uh, like a good luck card signed from her and Stu for the, the rest of the team. And we always used to pass it around backstage and everybody would have a read and, and have a smile. She was an amazing athlete and a lovely woman, Stu. So you, you're really lucky to have had that experience yeah. to have gone away, gone away with her. But I suppose what, what we can take from this, I mean, we're talking both of you getting international experience as far back as 1999. And I know that we're sort of all in the same age bracket now. We're, we're somewhere round about our late thirties, aren't we? All three of us. Um, So somewhere in our late thirties and you, you guys, you guys have been around since the year dot and you know, not so much, you know, I, I get, I competed back then and stuff, but I didn't reach the levels you guys did and I didn't carry on with it. But you've got guys here that have got, you know, 25 plus years, well, 25 years for you, Stu, this year, competitive experience, 29 years for you this year, Damo. Crazy, isn't it? 29 years since, since you stepped on stage in your first show. That's a life's work international pedigree from you know 1999 and, and both of you have sort of gone on to carve out careers as, as pro bodybuilders and I don't think one of the things I was really looking forward to getting across on on the show today was just how good and how richly experienced you two guys are because you've pretty much been everywhere seen everything I mean Damo do you remember that show in Germany the international show in Germany you know, we're backstage and I'm rubbing dream tan into you. And there's just some naked bodybuilder women right next to us, completely stark naked, getting tanned up. And we're like these young, innocent kids who are thinking, what, what, what's all this about? And, yeah, crazy. You know, Dennis Stallard. You know, Dennis Stallard was the president of the WPF and he ran that show in Germany. And if you look back, you know, he was, he was in pumping iron. You know, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Pumping yeah, yeah. iron. He was one of the judges. You know, he was one of the top guys, um, and we were exposed to people like that back then. But I didn't even realise it back then. I don't know if you did. I, I look back now and think, if if I had the the sort of the knowledge and the bodybuilding brain that I've got now, and could throw myself back into those days, I'd really appreciate what was around me an awful lot more. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, with guys like with you and Stu, guys with that history, with that really deep, rich history of bodybuilding, it's, it's great to get you on the show and, um, and, and for AJ to give us the opportunity to sort of show you to the world and say, these are the guys that you're around now, so enjoy being around guys with this pedigree and this experience because I suppose we're, we're all getting to the points, and I know that the, the, the podcasts that we've been doing over the last few weeks, AJ, have been for me, um, an opportunity for me, I suppose, to try and give a little bit more back to the people that are coming up through the sport, share a little bit of knowledge, tell a few funny stories, um, you know, have them say, oh, I met this guy once who met this guy once and told me this really funny story the same way as we have. So, you know, it's, it's a brilliant opportunity. Maybe, obviously, I don't know, I don't know what you've got on the agenda, AJ, but... Um, have you got anything that you, you want to cover before we, we sort of spin off with some war stories? Yeah, sure. I think, well, first of all, I like the fact that you can lead the, the direction of the conversation in this one a lot because you know a lot more about Stu and Damien than I do in terms of their history and you can ask really re- relevant questions. And I think to cover what you said, this is just a, a fantastic time 
available time to do these kind of things because usually when we're all well you know maybe apart from from myself and maybe even you know yourself as well Lee with your current occupation when we're all living busy lives and especially when the shows are running we have limited time available with you know the ability to get out content like this and also with people being at home more and being able to listen and digest a lot of content and listen to more podcasts this is just a great time to to get this kind of stuff out so i totally agree there and to go on a little bit of a bit of a tangent but also within the topic of discussion that we just had um i'd like to know from both of you as to so you know i've obviously been in the sport for so long naturals themselves drug-free athletes often get this hit of oh you're only going to progress this much you're only going to build 0.5 pound of muscle according to this research paper or that research paper per year um, and it's and it's a pretty upsetting thought when you look at it on paper and people start to then look to maybe go down the assisted route and or, or stop bodybuilding because they feel like the results are coming too slow so for you, I think that the main question is how over the years have you managed to get over an obstacle within your training or in your nutrition that has allowed you then to progress further and obviously, you know, get on pro stages and obviously, you know, do extremely well in pro shows. So what are some of those obstacles and how have you overcome them? Damien, go first. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think for me, I mean, in, in the teenage and junior days, I mean, like I said, the training was never a problem. It was always being consistent with the diet. Um, whereas when I came back in like 2007, it was complete consistency from like 2007 to 2009 of just getting me ass in gear with, with, with the nutrition, really. So making sure that all the training I did, I was recovering from and I was growing from. Um, and you know, just basic stuff like using the logbook um, back then. It wasn't like a case of, you know, the science and everything like that. It was just working your ass off, and, you know, getting enough sleep, the, the real basics, and basically covering your nutrition as well. And that's where I feel that, in combination with my age as well, because I was thirty at the time, but I already had kind of, uh, I was already used to from years ago the training and everything like that. Um, so it was kind of like. In a way, I had more muscle maturity, even though it was only kind of two years from 2007 to 2009. Um, and then once I basically did the diet right to get in the condition, uh, even though I wasn't the biggest guy, I mean, I only weighed like what, 70 kilos, 71 kilos. Um, for me, when I, when I stepped on that novice stage and there were 16 guys in the class, and I won it. That was like, wow, um, you know, maybe I've got kind of like a career in this bodybuilding again. And at the time it was my passion and it still is. So I think for me, it was more consistency um, because I was more mature and I wasn't kind of, you know, getting drunk at the weekends and staying up until two or three in the morning and things like that. Like, like you did as a teenager and a junior. Oh, those were the days. Those were the days. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I missed out. If, if, lady, if you ever join me and Leaf and Stu for some beers and that, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> we can tell you a lot of stories, you know, <laughs> that's, that's something for, for another time, you know. Stu, tell us about any obstacles that you've come across and how you've, you've progressed from your junior days up until where you are now, obviously winning pro shows, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, um, the, the, first obstacle I had was 
getting enough size on my frame. I, I tasted success as a junior, but probably not really big enough. So I, I knew my ultimate aim at that point was, was to win a British title. I thought I was capable of doing that, but I did think it was going to be just because I was I was so small framed. Uh, I knew it was going to be years and years before I was going to be able to do that with the quality of the guys around at the time. So I, I always just had that long-term goal in mind and just 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 chipped away at it for years and years. I, I wouldn't say there was any one thing that I, I did differently. It was just like the, the tortoise and the hare, just, just keep going, keep going. And it was going back to something that I heard on Lee's podcast, the old Braun articles, just basically... Stick it. It was basically an article in Flex magazine where they basically repeated it. Similar stuff. Just stick to the basic. Progress your lifts and just do it over a long time. There was nothing I was really changing over 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 that time period. But I was just gradually getting better through through my twenties, and then I sort of won qualifiers, and then by Sort of my late twenties, I was winning like decent qualifiers, like the Scottish. Maybe I was about thirty when I finally won the Scottish. And when I when I crossed over to, uh, I had a few results that I thought maybe didn't go my way. And when I was competing in the other Fed, and round about say what two thousand and twelve, I was sort of early thirties. I was one to come over to to Lee's Fed, um, and and that that show in 2012, I really wanted to go for that that show, and then getting the second there against top guys, I sort of knew right, I'm at a new level, so it's then just continuing, 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 continuing. But I wouldn't say there was anything other than just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again over a long time period. In, in your training, especially I'm interested in this myself, mm-hmm. is there anything that you look back on and you think, oh, I, wish I, I wish I did that differently. I wish I hadn't run that movement for that long or I wish I hadn't caused that injury because I, I know that as you get older, you get stronger and as you get stronger, the injury risk rises and rises and rises. So have you both had injuries and is there anything you'd look back on for example, to myself, like give someone like me advice, say, you know, I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done that. Or do you look back and you think, I don't really regret any of the things that I did because I had to do it? Um, for me personally, I would have stopped the singles, going for singles just for the sake of <laughs> uh, releasing it and showing my mates <laughs> that I can do a single. Yeah. Uh, that. Any injury I've had, it's I'm fairly strong. Uh, you are, yeah. Fairly strong. For my frame, I'm strong. I'm strong so, so doing these, doing these singles, I'm hearing a kind of echo. Um, but yeah. the, these these singles, uh, I, I wouldn't do. I've I've injured my back a couple of times. I probably can't squat as well as a. I used to be able to squat because I've got a bit of a, a dodgy back from attempting singles, and that that's powerlifting. So 
I, w- I wouldn't do that. <laughs> what about you, Damo? I think for me, going back like years ago, um, I did a typical bro split. I think I would have benefited more if I would have done like a, an upper-lower push-pull leg type of system as well. Um, also as well, it, it was knowing when to back off and deload. Back years ago, I, I didn't bother with deloads. I just trained my ass off and that was it. Um, and it was kind of hit style as well. And um, when you've been training that style for a long time as well, sometimes it can catch up on you, even though your technique is good. Um, it can catch up. And, you know, I've had niggles in the past just from pushing the weights up. Um, you know, I mean, last year um, I suffered a bulging disc in C5, sorry, C6, um, which caused me to, uh, to, to a point where afterwards I couldn't even do one single press up. Um, very little exercise I could do last year. And it came to a point where I thought, well, my bodybuilding career was over and even just maybe training at the point. But, you know, the body has a, a really clever way of adapting and to, to repair and recover. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm kind of pretty much back, back to where I was, really, if not better now, you know. Cool. Before Lee takes the next topic, one more thing that I, I would like to ask. I believe that you have quite different job roles and occupations within your day-to-day life. Um, one thing that I'm interested in is how you've both balanced those things um, with your bodybuilding careers, especially when it comes to, to contest prep. We know that it's a very demanding process and it takes a lot of energy away from your, your day-to-day life in general. So what do you do for a living, for anyone that doesn't know? And, and how have you, you balanced that with bodybuilding and have you made any changes to your career as a result of bodybuilding? Uh, well, well, for me, I mean, since like 2004, I've been uh, an online coach and personal trainer. Um, so for me, and having the gym at home and everything like that, um, I, can, I can kind of juggle family life and, you know, uh, time with the family uh, quite more comfortable than someone has a job who's working different shifts. You know, people such as Lee, you know, Lee works in the police. He's got different shifts you have to work and stuff like that. So for me, it's a lot better these days, which means, you know, stress levels are lower. Um, and I can manage my clients, you know, I have check-in slots with my online clients and then people I train as well. It's normally, uh, various times, but I can kind of do early morning, evenings, um, and kind of my wife is really good. She, she works from home a lot as well. So we're quite flexible that way, really. I mean, the, the toughest time has probably been like now the busiest time because of, uh, the COVID situation. Um, so Max, uh, our son is out of nursery. So we're basically... Myself and Nicola, my wife, are, are working, but we're also looking after Max between us as well. So um, that, that's probably you know a real, real tough thing at the moment. What about yourself, Stu? Yeah, oh, I've got a number of jobs. <laughs> uh, my main job is an IT contractor, which I, I do during the day, and also own and manage a, a property portfolio as well. So I'm... Um, Basically, I have to juggle a lot of things. I've got family. Uh, both my boys play football. So I have to do a fair bit of juggling. So to be honest, I have to get get my bodybuilding in when of time. So I, I'm fairly lucky the gym, when the gym is open, I can, uh, I can train any time I want. So it's got a key system. So I have to go to the gym at different times. And I think the fact that I think sometimes it's beneficial being that busy because you just 
tend to forget about food all the time. I've always got something going on or to think about, and I just I can. I, I think it ha having all those things that it, it helps with your, with, your, with your time management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can totally relate to that because even even when I'm in contest prep, a lot of people ask me, "Oh, do you, do you try and bring down your workload?" And it's kind of like a yes and no answer because you don't want too much to the point where your day is crammed and you can't sleep or, or eat your meals properly, but you don't want too little to the point where all you're doing is being a bodybuilder and you're just thinking about your next meal. So, uh, so I totally agree there. So Lee, um, take the direction of the conversation wherever you want it and, uh, yeah, take, take the mic. Okay. Thank you. Cheers, AJ. Um, one thing that I just wanted to point out, cause I know a lot of the people that are going to listen to the podcast might be novice athletes, people that haven't competed yet. Um, Perhaps a lot of you, I know you've got a, a younger following, AJ, teen and junior yeah. sort of age bracket following. Both of these guys, both Stuart and Damien, have talked about progressing lifts and getting stronger. And, and, and it's something that I wish I covered in a little bit more detail a couple of weeks ago when I was doing the podcast with Ben uh, and, and my original one where I was talking about training hard and pushing yourself and, and giving it your all. Um, I think one thing we can illustrate perfectly here is both. Stu and Damien are really hard trainers. Um, I've trained with them both. And, and, and I like to think, even though I'm not in nowhere near the shape these guys are in, I don't waste a gym session because there can be few and far between for me sometimes. I go for it when I'm in there. Both of these guys train brutally hard and they're both very strong. But the interesting thing is, and no disrespect to either guy, I think, Stuart, you're probably stronger than Damien. In some of in some of your key lifts, I don't know if either of you agree or disagree with that. But yeah. Stuart throws some scary poundages around for a guy who competes really well. for eleven stone, a really strong guy. And I think that's that's a really important lesson for a lot of the the younger listeners and watchers to um, to to buy in on is that a lot of the stuff we see on social media now, you know guys throwing up big weights on the power lifts and you know posting big numbers and putting on I see I see on people's profiles all the time they're 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 looking at goal weights they want to hit through off seasons or where they want to get to before they come in for another contest again. Just to just to illustrate that, you know, as 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 amateurs, you know, Stu was competed as a bantamweight, so making 68 kilos. Damien was struggling to make 75 as an amateur, weren't you, in all fairness? Mm. Um, and, and at some point, I think you've competed as heavy as 13 stone, about 82 kilos, haven't you, Damo? Yeah, smooth as a baby's bum, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, not, not quite as conditioned as, as, as you have been, but yeah. But for somebody who's so much lighter to be pushing heavier weights in some exercises... I think that's a really good demonstration for people out there that although it's important to be as strong as you can be, and it's important to train as hard as you can, you know, being over-obsessed with what weight people are actually using is a bad thing for a bodybuilder. Like Stu quite rightly said, that's powerlifting. You know, um, giving yourself a goal of, of, of a, a 180 squat or a 200 squat is an admirable thing if you're hitting the requisite number of reps in good form with it. But if you're not, I mean, you know, throwing back to Lee Haney, eight-time Mr. Olympia, one of the best backs in bodybuilding, never bent over a road more than two plates aside, you know, 100 kilos. He 
it was about form, it was about fit. So that was just a side point that I wanted to make because we do a lot of talking about being training hard, training heavy, but that word heavy is all relative for you novice guys out there. Don't think that, you know, you, you're, you're a bad bodybuilder just because you're not posting the numbers that some other guys are posting. So that, that was just a side spot before I move on to anything. But this, you both talk about consistency and, and I've talked about similar paths in bodybuilding. So both well decorated junior competitors with international experience, both won a number of qualifiers placed high in, in national level championships, top threes, both of you. Damien, you won three United Kingdom titles, class wins with us. And then you took two runner-up spots and win in world championships. That's how you got your pro card. Uh, Stu, two national titles, 2012 and two thousand sorry, 2014, 2016. We had the separate international show then. You won both of those. So you had the two national titles, the two international titles. And then you took an amateur world's win as well to get your pro card. You... I consider that both of you have come up the hard way to get your pro status. Um, how would you respond? Controversial, this one. How would you respond to people questioning your pro status, bearing in mind the records that you've gone through to, to get to that level? Damo. Um, do, do you know what I mean? When it, when it comes down to it, uh, I far exceeded whatever expected when I stepped on that stage as a novice, you know, uh, back in like 2009. And basically when I was, and I, when I won my first UK title, well, sorry, second UK title, 30. I, was kind of, I, was, I was kind of like knocking on the door as in being a pro standard physique because at the time, you know, I got a few messages from people and they were saying that, They've seen a lot of WMBF pros, like kind of like lightweight pros, and they feel like I would be competitive against them. Um, so the, the way I look at it, if I wasn't worthy of a pro card, then I wouldn't have done well as a pro because my last two pro outings at the Worlds, I got a second and a third, and I came within a whisker in 2017 to win, win the World. Arguably, maybe I could have won it. I didn't see the judging scoring sheets back in 2017, but... You know, to, if I didn't have a pro-worthy physique, then I wouldn't have got anywhere competing in pro classes. And the way you've got to look at it as well, some people see pro bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding, as right, everybody should be all in one class. So, you know, the, the only pro-worthy physiques are the, the big guys, you know, the, the heavy middleweights, the, the big heavyweights. Um, and it's kind of looked upon as if you're, if you're a lightweight, it's kind of like, well... You, 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 you know, you, maybe with other federations, you shouldn't be kind of pro standard or you shouldn't be a pro. Um, but if you look at sports like boxing and things like that, you know, uh, I mean, you, you've got like, you know, your welterweights, your featherweights, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's no way I'm going to compete on stage at like 90 kilos or even probably above 80 kilos, no matter what I do. So for, for me, you know, I mean, I think I've got a track record and obviously a pro record now as well to prove that I'm worthy of, of being a professional, really, you know. Um, and I, I'm not stupid. I, I will see other physiques and think, yeah, I'm, I'm, even if, 
you know, the heavyweight people like Sam Watrich, Kazeki, even if they're kind of like a little bit off condition-wise, I know I'm not going to beat them because they've just got too much muscle. It's as simple as that. But it doesn't necessarily to mean that I'm not a pro standard. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, a good heavyweight will always beat a good lightweight, won't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and heavyweight bodybuilders will always be, by and large, more impressive than, than a smaller guy. But you... Um, do you, do you have any regrets over the path that you took to becoming a pro athlete? Or, for example, you know, if we'd have been given all box pro cards and it was an easy pro card to win, let's say, with us, and as a class winner in 2011, if you'd have been given your pro status then, would you feel as proud of it as you do now? No, definitely not. I, I, I mean, I've never been kind of like an athlete who just goes into shows and wins. You know, you'd see some phenomenal athletes who just come in. I mean... To give an example, Rich Gozeki, um, the year he got his pro card, he went straight to the Worlds and won the overall, as well as his, you know, and Gavin Gibson, I remember, I think he won the Worlds and then competed in the pro class. And I think he got third behind Martin Daniels and Rich. That was the, follow- that was the following year. Yeah, and he, this is a guy, yeah. these are guys all of a sudden coming from amateurs straight into the pros, whereas guys like me and Stu, you know, we were kind of, it's taken us a long time to get there. Uh, but I think we've, we've learned the hard way of getting there. But the disappointments in that has just made us just kind of like come back stronger and, and better, really. Um, and I'm glad I, I did it that way, as in, you know, not giving up and just try and try again. So over to you then, Stu. I mean, like I said, I, I reeled off a little bit of your track record uh, before, before we went on to the question. And it'll be the same question for you. But to recap, two national titles, two international titles against legit overseas opposition, although those shows were in the UK. And then you were runner-up at the Worlds in 14 uh, behind somebody who went on to be a a reasonable WMBF pro. And then you won the Worlds in 16, and that's where you won your pro card. But but pretty much towards the back end of the the, the question with Damien, the the point was you you could have been awarded your pro card in 14 for winning a class in the national championships. Um, you weren't because they don't get given away. If you had have won it back in 14, would you feel as proud of your pro status as you do now? No. No. I feel uh, I feel like... Going back to your... What would I feel like if, if someone was to... Was it... What would you feel like if someone would insult your status or something? If your pro status were to be... If, if your calibre, your sort of... Your pro pedigree were to be questioned, yeah. I would, I would find that utterly insulting, to be honest with you. Um, the fact that I had such a long career and I did go through the ranks and I, de- I deliberately sort of did everything to compete against the best guys that I saw, that I saw your Dean Garrett's, your all the guys. Basically competing against the who's who of all the lightweights, sort of training you to get to that stage. And then you finally get to the goal around about 2014, uh, getting to the Worlds, getting second, then coming out, improving again for 2016, winning all of those shows against fairly top guys, David Old, Pete Gary, uh, the Swiss guy, the... Joe Sung Min, and then so to go over there and, and then to win it and to get my pro card that that was the best probably the best feeling I've ever had. And then 2017 
made my sort of dip into the pro sort of world, took a medal, went went back and then came back a year, a couple of years later, finally to win a show. And after all of that, 25, 20, 24 years solid competing, never missing a year, to have that called into question when you've actually won a show against two, there was three three people in the class that were top five WMBF world placing guys. One of the one of the guys who placed behind me went on to be fourth in that big lightweight class. To say you don't even deserve your pro card, I find it disgusting. That's how I feel about it. And I raise that question because it has kind of been said, and 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 I believe that you you deserve the opportunity to answer that back. Uh, and that's we won't dwell on that. We'll we'll stay there. But that seventeen pro worlds where Damien was a very close runner up to close and you know debatable runner up to Brett Freeman of America. Um, you placed eighth in that class. There was it was sixteen deep, wasn't it? You know, it was a ridiculous was class. You, you you had beaten guys who had placed top five previously. Uh, my my statistical brain tells me. Uh, and then, of course, two years later, you went on and. And again, this is one for the listeners. Stuart is the first and only athlete from Scotland ever to win a WMBF Pro title, um, which we're, we're very we're very proud of. And I know that means an awful lot to you, Stu, coming from a little village gym in in, in Galston. But then you went on to place top five in the worlds in in the bantamweight division this year as well. So, it, is is it safe to say that you're very proud of your professional status and you're proud of what you achieved in the sport? Never, never thought I would ever get there, and I, I still can't believe it to this day that I'm actually saying that I'm a WNBF pro. It's it, it means an awful lot to me, and to to have it like basically said that it's been handed out in a sweetie shop, I find it insulting. Well, like I say, after two national championships, you know, both of which were good lineups. Andy Hallahan was uh, runner up to you in fourteen, wasn't he? Uh, when he uh, no Rich Walker was Andy Rich Walker was runner up my apologies yeah. Andy Hallahan beat me in 12 Andy Hallahan was runner up to me in 14 yeah he was no sorry Richard was second and Andy was third wasn't he yeah yeah, yeah. and Andy won the Worlds uh, a couple of years previously won the Amateur Worlds hadn't he you know Rob Feasy, Jason Barnett, all world champions, all national champions. So even as an amateur, you were beating some top guys, weren't you? Yep. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a long, long sort of path that you've both fought to get into those pro ranks, and um, you know you've you've both gone about it the hard way. And and I th- and, and I'd love it if people watching the podcast, especially the younger people who who are plotting out their future in the sport, could see that. You know, it's not a quick process. It's it's something that comes about after a, a long, long period of time. So, what I wanted to do this is this will be the last bit from me, I think, because I know AJ's got some list of questions that he wants to get into. Um, couple of moments, we, you know, we won't go into great depth. We'll bounce back and forwards. You've been there. You've you you know over twenty five years, twenty nine years, respectively competing everywhere from village halls in towns nobody's ever heard of to competing on debatably the biggest stage in, in, in bodybuilding at the WMBF Pro Worlds. You've seen a lot. 
talking about contest day itself, first question, off the top of your head, quick fire round, demo first, what's the funniest thing you've ever seen at a bodybuilding contest? Uh, right, I don't know if you were there, Lee, backstage, but I think it was me, me and Mick Boyle, 2014 in Boston at the Worlds, and we went backstage um, to get pumped up and everything like that and put the dream tag on. And there was this guy on the table, this is a really long table, right? This guy, you know what's coming, don't you? There's this guy on the edge of the table and he's got this iPod on and he's dark and he's speakers and he's got this 70s music playing and you know, he's, he's got his own little setup. So I walked over, put my bag on the, on the table, everything like that. And then about a few minutes later, he said to me, oh, he says, um, this is my table. I can't believe you're not asking. He says, you're rude. You're not asking me uh, to use it. And, uh, and I, I just kind of like looked at him. I laughed and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I said, uh, can I use your table? And he's like, right, okay, that's better. And I looked and he had a, a Zimmer frame at the side as well, with the side of the table. I thought, oh, odd, really, really odd. So anyway, um, I, I did the prejudging. I remember that. And then coming back and the, the guy disappeared, but so had the table. And I remember Carl, a friend of mine who came out the worlds with me, he, he said, that table was actually the guy's. He yeah. said, he's got massive RV parts outside. He said, he, his table was his. He had it all folded like this massive camping table. And then uh, he said, did you not see him backstage? I said, no. He said, yeah, he was in like the, I think it was the old 50s class something. He brought the Zimmer frame to do chest dips on backstage. Mm -hmm. He said, and, and, and he nearly went flying. He was like wobbling all about all over the place. And uh, afterwards, I thought I felt really bad because this table, I thought it was just you know as part of the setup backstage and everything like that. And I was like, shit. And I don't know who the guy was. I mean, I remember he had like this really, really majestic tash, you know, massive tash. Yeah, um, I've seen him at a few of the Boston shows. He brings all of his own furniture. It doesn't matter how cramped the backstage area is. He sets up his own table, his chair, his Zimmer frame plays yeah. his music, and he always brings a trophy with him as well. And it's like a trophy that he won some time in the past, probably. Puts the trophy on the table with like an army helmet on top of it. And yeah, I know the guy. I remember you having that exchange with him at the show because I don't think you got that it was actually his table that you were using. Table, yeah, yeah. This is you it, thought yeah, he was yeah, just being cool. a, some sort of dick about a, a communal table. Yeah. That's the one what stands out kind of fairly recent, I think. I mean, I remember going back, you know, to like the junior days. I mean, you remember Cal Bleakley and that, who was my training partner at the time. And it was one of those where it, it, when he was pumping me up, he was like, don't look at the other guys. And, you know, as if we're getting mm. ready to fight. You know, like it was, was a like, fight, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, that's some funny times. All, all because of crazy personalities in the sport. Yeah. Most, most of these funny times come from crazy personalities. What about you, Stu? Funniest thing, apart from the time you got Raljex in your eyes. And yeah, was... that, that's definitely up there. Funniest thing apart from that. Go on. Probably when I was at the Britain with Adam, Adam Mills. Uh, do you remember the singer Chico? Yeah, Chico Slamani, the guy Chico time off Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, he was competing in the show. and He did. Started chatting up Adam's wife at the show and Adam was getting... Absolutely uh, mad with it, and it was just—it was just such a funny thing to happen. The, the guys 90, now on the telly and ninety-eight AMB Brittany competing in the heavyweights, didn't he? Yeah, 
And he had the big ponytail and the big sort of GQ looking physique. He didn't place, I don't think, did he? No. No. There was also a guy, one of the Scottishes, with a massive erection on the stage. And there was some crowd <laughs> wondering who the hell he was pointing at. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny as well. Oh, can you remember him? Incidentally, talking about the old Scottish days, do you remember the first time you competed in the Scottish and came second? Yeah. To go on, what was the winner's name? Lu- Luciano Gentili. Well, Luciano Gentili, yeah. Do you know his son follows us on Instagram? All right. Yeah, seriously, he's he's got the same name. He's 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 he, he looks. I mean, it might be him, but he looks far too young to be in his late thirties, the same as us. So I've assumed it's his son. He's got a cracking physique. He's one of our Instagram followers, and every time because he, he won the lightweights the next year. He went, up he went straight to the junior yeah. and, and then you never heard from him again. He's, yeah. He's yeah, probably going on to be a pro. Maybe it is. You guys, yeah. got, any hmm? Leo, AJ, you got any stories? Hmm? Leo, AJ, have you got any stories? My competitive history is not relevant at all these days. I'm, 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 I'm just the guy that asks the questions. AJ, what's the funniest thing you've ever experienced at a bodybuilding contest? Oh, man. I don't actually know because I was probably going to say something similar to what Damien said because I remember that guy because he was at the 17 Worlds in Boston. He was at 17 as well doing the exact same thing, wasn't he? Oh, right. okay. He was doing kind of, um, he was doing like pike tucks, you know, like V-sits on a chair in the middle of a really backstage area and he was getting angry that people were bumping into his legs while he was doing them. Like it wasn't his fault at all that he was taking up loads of space. Yeah. Cramp backstage area, yeah, that guy. That guy. Anything funnier than that, AJ? Other than that, I mean, it wasn't specifically funny. Like it wasn't like someone on stage or backstage that was laughing. That was the probably just the pure delirium of the the 2019 Worlds <laughs> in New York. Yeah. I don't think I've ever experienced something quite like that where I was awake from 6 a.m. until 3 a.m. watching bodybuilding. Yeah. Oh no. I, I struggled to realise whether I actually enjoyed bodybuilding anymore or not. As mm-hmm. the bikini class came on at 2.30am, I just didn't know what I was looking at anymore, to be honest. <laughs> it, was, it was just surreal, wasn't it? We were all kind of tired and delirious. It, and I know, I know a, lot of, a lot has been said about that, that show because it went on so late in the day, and I know none of us particularly enjoyed it. But in, in defence of the WMBF, for those that are listening that might have heard those references before, the reason the show went on so late is because... In the last week before the contest, 150 people, about 100 people entered the show that they weren't expecting. So there ended up being nearly 400 people in the show and it turned into a monster of a day. Um, but yeah, we were all absolutely... Uh, I was... Um, if, if alcohol would have been allowed in the venue, I, was, I would have been passing a hip flask full of, uh, of malt whiskey around and we'd have all been trying to keep ourselves awake by drinking... Uh, contraband liquor at three o'clock in the morning and just spontaneously laughing at the, the ridiculous situation we were all in. But th- these are the things that these are the things that make it. So go on, that's the funniest thing you've ever seen at a show. Both Can of I you- just say a quick one? Go on. Very quick one. Uh, it's going back a few years. A client of mine had, had forgot to shave his pubes. <laughs> <laughs> so... So I met him at the venue. I'm not, I won't say who it is, and all the show or anything like that. Met him at the venue, and then getting ready to back, go backstage, I said, "Have you got some scissors?" He's like, "What do I need scissors for?" I said, "All your pubes are sticking out." I said, "Go and get your misses." 
So, uh, yeah, we kind of uh, remedied wow. that further quickly, tucked it in a bit, well, he did, and then uh, it was all right, it wasn't noticeable on stage. Oh, that's unbelievable, unbelievable. And it's the people that make it. It's the people that make the sport, isn't it? Because we all do such crazy things. Talking of crazy things, you're both strong guys. You both posted some impressive lifts in the gym. I want to know, what's your biggest gym fail? Demo first. Uh, I got stuck under 150 bench. Um, I kind of like rolled it down and then... <laughs> With 150? The and went, sorry? With 150? Yeah, yeah. I, I was... Hell. I did, I did 140 for, for a couple, so I was feeling good. <laughs> and then, um, I, so I filmed it, I filmed the 150, and then I was like, oh shit. And then I kind of like took myself under, rolled it down, and then I told the missus, and that was a big mistake because she was worried sick then, and she's like, right, you can't go in there and train on your own anymore. I was like, no, no, you don't understand. I said, it was bench, so I could set the safeties next time. So 150 yeah. bench. What about you, Stu? Biggest gym fail ever. Uh, I don't know if it was a big fail, but I remember dropping a hundred kilo. I remember I was just I was squatting and I, I felt I just felt faint for some reason, and the bath just went off my back and just just fell onto the just well from the height of me onto the onto the what do you call them the 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 power rack and it just almost obliterated the the poles. <laughs> I don't know what was, happened. Was that a diet moment? I think so. I think it probably was. I was just feeling a bit faint and the 100 kilo just rolled off my back. Oh. It didn't feel where, didn't feel right and it just rolled off my back and just fell to the ground and crashed. Well, I've, I've, got a, I've got an absolute cracker. This is a proper novice moment. I, I will pitch into this one. I talked about the uh, the sort of little boiler room, weights room that I started training in when I first started training. Until I went in there, I'd never seen an Olympic bar. I didn't know what one was. I didn't know what one weighed. It was just a bar on a bench. And I just figured it was the same as the hollow York bar that, that I had at home. So I put whatever, you know, I put the weight that I put on either side. I can't remember, maybe a 10K plate either side of it. Remember, I was, I was you know, 14 years old. Uh, got somebody to pass it off to me, and and of course there was this extra twenty kilos that I didn't know about. I didn't thought, sort of think that the bar would weigh twenty kilos. And as soon as the guy that was spotting me lifted the bar off it, I nearly put it through myself and through the bench. It came crashing down on my chest with a big yelp, and then I kind of had to, I didn't have collars on the bar because the guy had like handed the bar off and walked away. He was oblivious to what was going on, and I kind of had to sort of throw the plates off one end of the bar and when the plate came off that end of the bar it whipped over and took me with it and I ended up somersaulting off the bench. That was that was probably mine because this this was one of those gyms where if you did silly things like that you'd probably get chastised and thrown out of the place. What about you AJ? What's your biggest gym fail ever? It was pretty big actually, pretty large. It could have <laughs> it could have it could have legitimately ended ended me. Um, so it's pretty recent. Um, it was like, I think it was the weekend before the UKFBA Northern last year. Um, and I was squatting, but you know, the racks where they're, f they're totally free, like powerlifting racks. You're not in a cage. Just stands. 
why on God's earth I chose to use them when I'm in a gym which has six power racks, I, I don't know. Um, but I decided to use them. I wanted to use them, so I did. Um, I did my top set, 180, and it was a really good set. Um, I was already risking it because I'd realized on other sets I'd watched like the clips were loose. So like the plates were already like rolling. So for the first set, I just got someone to like watch me and basically just tell me if the plates started to fall off. I mean, I'm not sure how that was going to be effective, but regardless. So that was the first set pretty sort of nervous for that one, but got it done. So I went in more confidence for the back off set with 160. And um, because it was a high rep set, I think I got like 16 reps or so. I was really gassed at the end, like really out of breath and, just wanting to basically dump it on the rack, which you do in a power rack, you sort of dump it. But because obviously there's two pegs, two separate parts of the rack, I got it in on the left side of the rack and I thought it was in on the right and it wasn't in the rack and I had no spotter. So the bar obviously clipped slightly down on the rack, came, came backwards, so started pulling me backwards 160 because my arm was still here. I, I, I literally fell backwards on the floor and then all I could see looking up here was the best part of 160 kilos coming down towards my head. So I rolled out the way and then the bar just went like that and hit, hit the floor. God, you can almost put one of those memes out of that with the guys dancing with the coughing, couldn't you? Awful, mate. And someone came, someone came up to me after and said fucking hell are you okay and i was like yeah i'm, I'm fine because apparently like for him he was watching and he was just obviously like for him in slow-mo he was like trying to come over and help but he wouldn't he wouldn't have ever made it to help me but um he just saw me just like i guess it was like a a ninja roll out of the way of the bar so you know i'm prepared for these moments if they happen again but i'm never ever squatting in free pins ever free racks <laughs> ever in my life no. again no, bad news, bad news. Always power out with pins. But yeah, that was pretty big. Other than that, I've been gym fail free, but that was a pretty big introduction, I think. I think that made up for it, to be fair. It did. Was... I almost killed myself, yeah. Go on, last, last one from me then before the list of the questions. It's, it's, a, it's a question that kind of hit me earlier. What shall I ask them? Relive your whole bodybuilding career now in your head in five seconds flat. And I want you to give me the split second moment that the one second of your life in bodybuilding, that if you could relive that moment over and over again, because of the way it made you feel, um, you, uh, you, you would do. And, I, and I'll tell you what mine is first. Not that mine's going to be any more impressive than anybody else's, but Damo, you were there. It was a uh, Pudsey Civic Hall, August, 1993. We were lined up on stage. Uh, ready to go on stage for the division that we competed in. Under 17 teenage class, uh, eight lads in the lineup. I was competitor number two in the lineup. Was a two or was a three? Two or three in the lineup. Anyway, I was I was close to the front of the lineup, so I had a couple, one or two guys in front of me, a bunch of guys behind me. And just as I was about to sort of walk towards the stage curtain, I was just absolutely terrified because I knew I wasn't really ready for it. I wasn't going to do very well in the contest. Um, I kind of thought, oh dear, you know, I've, I've got in got in above my depth here. But then the second I stepped out from behind that stage curtain and the lights hit me in the eyes and I, I kind of got lost in that one moment, that, that, that one moment of sort of, 
I think that impacted on me more than anything else. And I think that was probably the thing that drove me to compete again and again for the 16 times I did. For that moment where I walked out on stage for the first time and the buzz that hit me. And I think if I could relive that feeling over and over again, um, then, then, then I'd be quite happy with that. You know, nothing I ever achieved, not that it was a lot as a bodybuilder, um, meant as much as that to me. So what, what would you say yours is? Now I've given you some waffle time to think about it. Damo? Well, I'll just quickly say I remember you being really confident and you posted Alice Cooper Poison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big bushy blonde hair as well. Oh, yeah, I apparently had hair at that point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, 2015, uh, WMBF Worlds, third attempt, uh, the Amateur Worlds, uh, won the class, got a pro card, and then I got invited to compete the following day in the pro class to validate my pro card. Uh, and what made it really special as well was all my family were there, a few of my friends. Um, and I remember my dad being backstage and he was crying. And my dad doesn't show much emotion at all. Uh, he was crying. And I remember you crying as well. And we had, we had a massive hug. Um, and that was just like probably, probably the best moment where I thought. That well, was a moment, yeah. I remember that well. Yeah. yeah, especially your dad being so emotional because he's a he's a tough guy, isn't he? He's a, he's a man's man. He doesn't show a lot. Um, and yeah, that, that moment when we all had that, that big hug, that that was a good moment. How about you, Stu? I, I would say, um, apart from winning all the titles, I, I would say when I got to do the guest spot, and and you were reading out all the things, all the nice things about my mentor Derek, I, I felt really. Like my whole career flashing, sort of by me at that at that point, uh, to be able to go on there, get get all the nice things said about me, and all the nice things said about Derek, and be able to pose on stage to his music and, mm-hmm. and give that tribute. That that to me probably stands out above anything. To be honest, yeah. With you. There were a few tears in eyes from the Scottish crowd when you did that. I remember that. Because uh, Derek was Derek was a legend, wasn't he? God rest him. And uh, yeah, to, that, that 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 was a brilliant tribute as well. Um, AJ, go on, you last. Where's yours? Easy for me so far, mate. And I think to be honest, it's probably going to stay there for a very long time, if not forever. Is one of my favourite bodybuilding memories, and that's the the 2017 UK. Um, reason being is it was probably the most competitive lineup that I'd been in. It was one of those shows where I had a lot riding on it in my head because I'd already committed to to trying to achieve the goal of getting to your worlds, getting to the WNBF worlds. And I'd already come second at, you know, the BNBF British and I really wanted a British title so badly. Um, and uh, yeah, I just remember that just a lot, a lot of, a lot of pressure and a lot of nerves but, you know, pumping up backstage with Ben Howard, him telling me how, you know, my condition will stand out and just, just go out there and, you know, be confident. And that's, you know, that's what I did. I think that the, the, the biggest thing as well for, for me personally about that one was that, you know, my mum was there to watch. My dad was there to watch, obviously, specifically my mum, you know, is the, you know, the last show she got to see me at and she was very emotional about it. And we got that probably one of my favorite pictures ever um, that Mr. Richardson took. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that picture and that memory will be uh, be there for a long time for sure. And I think that will motivate me, especially if I compete again at that venue. There's a lot of things that are there for me 
um, that are positive and uh, that, that, that bring a lot of things back to me in terms of why I bodybuild. So, yeah, that'd be mine. Was it that, 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 that moment in the photograph that's your moment then, your split second? Pretty much, I think, that and also the, the moment when you did call me out as the winner. Um, well, actually, it was probably the moment when you called out second place um, because... You I just dropped to the deck like a sack of spuds. Yeah, I shouldn't have maybe dropped to the deck, but I, I did because I knew that that was... Emotions are emotions. You can't control them, can you? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah that, was, that, was, that was awesome. That's the best one so far, mate. Yeah. Cool. Again, it's the, you know, the funniest things we've ever seen were the people. The, the, the biggest fails we ever had were just mistakes that we could have avoided. And the, those, those one sort of split second moments in time that we'll always cherish forever, they, they were the experiences, weren't they? You know, they, they were about the, the experiences that sport gives you. And I, I kind of ask these questions on purpose. You know, because they're not, they're not, I, I don't know what anybody's answers are going to be when I ask them, but I hope that people listening to this are going to leave this podcast now thinking, I want that moment. I want that Kodak moment. I want that funny story to tell one day. I want to see these crazy people involved in this sport and I want them to see how much it's done for us and how much it's given us to laugh about. So thank you for enjoying my questions, all three of you. Um, I think you've got some list of questions for for the guys now, haven't you, AJ? Yeah, no, that was great. I, I loved I loved sort of those uh, those questions. I think they give uh, really really good answers for for people to listen to. Um, yeah, we have got a few. I think we covered quite a few of them in tangent and answered sort of a few of them within some of my questions as well because I tried to direct you towards some of them. Um, but we'll go for, for one that will maybe leads us down to a little bit of a rabbit hole. Maybe you can finish on it. Um, Cause there's, yeah, there's a few ones pretty much we've covered. So uh, the question is, what are your thoughts on the, the discussions that myself and Lee have had uh, on the, well, mainly Lee's discussion on the topic of conditioning. So what do you think uh, you agree with? Uh, is there anything you disagree with in terms of what athletes should be looking to bring to stage at the moment? Do you think that conditioning is a, is, is a, is still a problem and we're losing physiques out of it? Um, give us your thoughts. Demo first. Yeah. Um, well, I, I know where, where Lee's coming from and I think it's more of the, the, the younger guys who, who've not built the muscle yet and they appear on stage stringy at the expense of thinking, right, well, if I get shredded glutes, that's all that matters. And that's where you know, I'll go up in the places. But I think once you've built a quality physique, then I think uh, conditioning is still really, really important. But you've got to have, the, like Lee said on the last podcast, you've got to have the, the, the muscle size, you've got to have the shape um, as well, as well as the conditioning. So all elements have got to be there. And I, I always agree that basically a, a a well-balanced physique which has got enough muscle and displays enough condition should always beat that guy who's kind of like shredded and stringy, uh, so to speak. Um, personally speaking, I think the lighter guys still need to come in condition, as in rock hard. Um, not too expensive looking stringy again, uh, but I think if you've got enough mature muscle on you, um, then it, it's, I think it's quite difficult to look stringy. Um, but the heavier guys, like, you know, you, you get like the, the Sam Watts, the Rich Gozekis, you know, um, 
I think they can get away with not appearing rock hard condition. I mean, obviously they get in condition, but I don't think they need to necessarily be as hard looking as the lighter guys. Um, but that's my opinion on it. Um, but when you're looking at guys coming up in the ranks, you know, the juniors, novices and things like that, um, I think they should prioritise training the physique as a whole and trying to bring everything up rather than thinking, right, well, shredded glutes or conditioning is going to get me the win. Um, you know, you've got to have the, focus on that, the chest, the shoulders, the arms, bringing everything up, you know, rather than just one thing. Perfect. Steve? Uh, I do kind of agree with what you said about it being a selling point. For me, it has been a, a selling point. But on the same token, the, the judging criteria should be applied. It shouldn't take precedence over anything else. You should get marks where marks are appropriate for conditioning. So if you have... If you're not, if you're lacking in muscle, just because you got sort of super shredded, then you should be marked down for that. But I don't think you should. I think it's still important. I think it's important to come in shredded. Well, maybe not shredded, but certainly conditioned enough. But what I do think is, it's difficult to get evenness of condition without being almost completely shredded because you're always going to be waiting on that one area. So my upper body's going to come in, and then I'm going to be waiting on my legs. But to, to get my legs completely through, I'm going to have to be pretty much all the way shredded just to, to get that evenness of condition to sort of pursue, pursue a sort of balanced look all over, if, if that makes any sense. Because you're always yeah, going to be waiting on that sure. body part coming in, and they're not going to come in all at the same rate. So, for me anyway, to to achieve that balanced look where your condition is even, I'm probably going to have to be pretty much all the way down anyway. And and I get that where people have that issue, and some guys do have that where you know the lower body comes in slower than the upper body. I was always the other way around. My legs always got hard before my top half for for some reason, like I have to do everything different, I guess. Um, but do you, do you think, Stu, I mean, I, I agree with what both of you have said and especially what you focused on, Damo. Lighter guys need to, you know, need to be in great shape because they have less muscle density to show through if they're not. But from, from what you've said, Stu, do you, have you ever felt that you've given up tissue in the upper body to get that last bit of condition through on your legs and... And yeah, definitely. Probably, probably most times I've competed. To be honest with you, uh, in complete honesty, do you think you'd have looked any better if you hadn't done that? Possibly, but past results have told me that that's that's the way to play it. Yeah, that, absolutely. I, I would find it difficult. I would find it difficult to deviate from what's worked, but. I do believe I could have came in fuller, mm -hmm. potentially. Uh, I think across the sport, historically, some guys have been conditioned guys, haven't they? You know, we've spoken about Andreas Munzer, we've spoken about Rich Gaspari in the old Olympia days, and, and you know, the, these days, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the standard that when Stu steps on stage, he's going to be hard. Um, 
Whereas, you know, I, I, I probably consider you a conditioned guy and you're one of the people I would say, yeah, get yourself rock hard and get that detail through because that's your calling card. That's your selling point. The true density of your muscle comes through very well when you cut. Whereas with respect, Damo, we've had long discussions about this. Whereas yeah. you and I both see an argument to uh, you looking better at 75 kilos than you do at 73, 72. Yeah, the, the trouble is as well, uh, like in, the, in, in the past when the, they've maybe not announced what the weight class is going to be, it's kind of like thinking, well, you could be a pound or two above, the, say, the lightweight class and go up against guys who are 20, 20 plus pounds heavier than you. Because, um, you know, that's happened in the past. But if you kind of like, well, you think if you're within range of a few pounds to make the weight in, in order to be, say, the biggest lightweight, then you think, yeah, I'm going to go go down that route rather than thinking, yeah, I might get away with being a few pounds heavier, but I might then be upper class and a lower placing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's not just about being the biggest lightweight because that's not necessarily the best thing, is it? But it's about making sure that you're in that lightweight class. Yeah. Because, you know, the, there are people out there competing at, you know, 76, 77 kilos, where if they came over to the WMBF, they wouldn't be lightweights. You know, the, the lightweight limit's not been that high ever. I think 75 is the highest it's ever been. But if you're competing, and now it's 72, 72.5, isn't it? Um, so if you're, if you're walking on stage at 76, 77 kilos, again, you know, to coin a phrase, I mean, you've been a top three placer twice. Stu, you're, you're a title winner and a medalist. But, you know, whatever shows you've won in what weight divisions you competed in before, you walk onto a WMBF stage at 76 kilos and you're in there against Babacar and you're in them. You're not a lightweight anymore. And that, that guy carries a lot of muscle. You know, nobody really wants to stand next to Babacar, do they? Although he's, he's a very nice fellow, but, you know, he's not getting beaten anytime soon, is he? Same, you know, Siobhan Cunningham used to dip into that middleweight class. Cleveland Thomas was a good middleweight. Um, you know, Brandon. You know, he was a great, he was a great middleweight, wasn't he? Um, John Harris, it, it, the, the names are endless in that class. So I suppose that extra pound or two when you're looking at that, that lightweight division. I've always disagreed with, with the structure of the, the weight divisions being the way they are. And I think it's probably cost a few people that little bit of extra muscle trying to squeeze down. Yeah. Sorry to hijack the question, AJ, I'm ranting again. Oh, no problems. No, I think it's a good... Good topic to, to dive in. Um, next question is from Marco. So he asked suggestions for someone who's wishing to step into com competition uh, when they're over 30. So um, have you got any tips, any, any bits of advice? Because a lot of people see, see bodybuilding as a sport. You have to start young, which is not necessarily true. Um, well, just quickly touching on before, um, when I kind of got back into the bodybuilding again, I was 32 when I stepped on stage um, in, in 2009 um, as a novice. And, um, you know, I think, I don't think you should let age kind of stop you from doing what you want to do. Uh, for me, um, yeah, my, my best successes were in the, my my late 30s so depends has he, has he been training up to now or is this uh, how long has he been training up to now uh, I, I, I follow him myself so I know he's been he's been training consistently 
for a long while. He's got a good amount of muscle, a good foundation, but yeah, I would go for it if I was him. Yeah, he's coming into those peak years, so why not find out where he, find out where you stand, and you've still got a good ten years, ten fifteen years of growing. Yeah, when where it, but find out where you are and make a start. Okay, cool. Final question. We'll we'll end on this to to keep the podcast in a. I mean, I'm sure we could go on for three, four hours, but uh, three, four days probably. Days. <laughs> we need we need digestible content for for the listeners and uh, probably sleep for the uh, the providers of the podcast as well. So, in terms of uh, a performance enhancing drugs, so you know, how did both of you um, abstain away from from using them? And did, was there any temptation at any point? Um, because I think, you know, again, a lot of people are tempted to go down that route with when they see the lack of progress that they make naturally or something like that. And, the, and they just think, oh, I would like to make progress quicker. So how did you stay away from it? And was it ever a temptation? I mean, for me, it was definitely a temptation. I mean, what Lee mentioned the other, the other week on the podcast about back then you know when we were teenagers and things like that um the environment we're in and you know things what they'd sell like ultimate orange which contain ephedrine and things like that um i mean i'll openly say you know i've tried like ephedrine and i even tried pro hormones you know when i was so like back then as a teenager uh, when i was like 19. um and, and back then as well i mean i didn't really know much about natural bodybuilding until uh, we went to watch that uh, the show Stu competed in. Um, and by then it was like, well, as Lee mentioned in the ruling, if you take ephedrine or you know, this banned substance, there's no chance you can compete in it because you've got to be natural for life. Um, so for me as well, the environment I was in, it was like all the guys there were competing in the local shows, which I did, the Laban Gym shows, um, EFBB, NABA. So it was kind of like competing in those. Um, and then in later life, you know, it is, it is very tempting because you can, I've seen people, you know, go from natural, take the gear and just kind of like put on a lot more muscle. Um, but for me, it's, it's kind of like a health thing as well as, I think my wife would leave me if I ever tried it uh, now. Um, but it's one of those where I want to live as long as possible and be as healthy as possible. And uh, I think as well, supposing I was to take it now and kind of go down, you know, maybe an IFBB route and things like that, then... You look, it's just another level. I mean, there's so many big guys you look around now. It's, it's just, you know, I mean, guys who are like 18 stone plus, they're kind of 10 a penny now, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy where I am, to be honest. It'd probably take us back to 1999, wouldn't it, mate, where we stood in that room with all those monsters telling us about all those crazy things they were putting in their body, thinking, hang on, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to do what you're doing. I, I thought I could just do a little bit and then be there, but you, you can't, can you? Yeah, and that's the reality of it for people that are watching. Again, sorry to jump in, but you know, guys might think it's okay to experiment with a with a little bit of something or just enhance their performance a little bit. But you've 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 got to get it through your heads, guys. That if you want to make it to the absolute top level, you you you, you can't just be prepared to cross the line. You've got to jump that line. You've got to you've got to get into it big time. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a massive commitment to make once you've stepped over that line. Yeah. yeah well when I was coming up in, in the gyms it, it was the norm it was it wasn't it, it was 
the strange thing to do was go away and become a natural. It was the rule and the exception. Uh, but I would have went down that route had it not been for Adam actually being there and uh, competing in, in the, the ANB at the time. And, I, and once I got fairly well down that route, um, that, that was it. I, I had a path to go down as a natural, but I've no doubt if... If that wasn't there, I probably would have taken them, to be honest with you, because I was so into bodybuilding at the time, but I just didn't go down that route, and I never will. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you very much, guys, for your time, and I really appreciate it. I think this is a fantastic episode, and I'm sure the listeners will appreciate it massively. Lee, have you got any final words to cap off the podcast? No, just thanks. Uh, you know, two guys that I've known a long time and got a lot of respect for. I appreciate them making the time to come on. I know Stuart doesn't like to have the lights on in his house past nine o'clock. Simply, uh, I know that Damien likes to be in his pajamas by eight thirty. So, you know, they've both made their sacrifices. Guys, before we go, um, if anybody wants to look you up, anybody wants to get in touch with you, I know Damo. Obviously, you make your living by coaching athletes and the like. Um, have you got an Instagram handle, website, anything you want to throw out there onto the podcast before we finish? Sure, yeah, thanks. Uh, the Instagram is Coach Damien Lees, WMBF Pro, and the website is www.damienleestaylorfitness.co.uk. And Stu? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. I don't talk a lot of sense a lot of the time. I don't, I don't, I'm not looking to coach people or anything like that, but if anyone wants to ask me a question you can uh, find me on instagram or, or facebook awesome thanks very much for listening guys and we will catch you in the next one